0: Lord, we just thank you for your word. And God, this morning, we want to come and just allow your word to be the authority of our, of our lives, Lord, the authority in our church. Um, we love the word, Lord, because the written word leads us to the living word, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we want to draw near to you this morning. We want to be changed and transformed by your power, Lord. And so we pray Lord, this morning that we would experience not words of human wisdom, but the power of God in our lives, and that you would change us. And so, Lord, we just trust you in faith to do that work. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> right on. So let's, let's check out uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And we'll just start there and just kind of, uh, I'll remind you, maybe you weren't here last week, or maybe you were. We'll, we'll, we'll use this as our launch point, okay? And so it says this in verse... Verse 1, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now I love this, when you, when you dig into what's going on here, when John talks about seeing, perceiving the kind of love that God has given to us, he is talking about, as he says, kind, he's talking about the quality of God's love the value of it, what it's worth. And last week I talked to just a little bit like, you know, I'm like one of those guys, I'm just a sucker for quality things. I'm like, I always like will spend more money to get the thing that I, th- has a name brand lab- label, whatever it is. I'm the sucker, man. I, I like to think that I like quality, but sometimes, you know, maybe you're just getting burned. But no, we like quality things. I mean, it's, it's part of who we are in our nature. We like, you know, I want the better thing the best thing. And it's interesting. I think that that's in us a little bit as human beings. And we like love. And the scripture tells us that we should see the quality. We should perceive the quality of the kind of love that God has given to us. What is the quality of that love? John 3.16. That God gave what? His one and only Son. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so John says, see it. Look at the love of God. Perceive these things. Think about it. Weigh, about, we- weigh Weigh. it. Discern it. Discover what kind of love the Father has given to us. And that takes your eyes. It takes your senses. It takes your mind to inspect the quality of his love. And we talked last week about the different kinds of love there are. In the ancient, ancient Greek there's, there's eros which is intimate sexual love between a man and a woman. There's the word phileia which speaks of brotherly love between friends or between family. And then there's this word agape, agapos which speaks of spiritual love. And that's the kind of love the father loves us with it's the it's the greatest kind of love and that love it's that love with which he bestowed on us this title that we would be called his children the children of God and so we are and so John says you you need to 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 recognize the quality of God's love you have to realize what he's bestowed on you he's bestowed on you a new identity He's bestowed on you this fact that you're part of his family, that you are a child of God. You are a son or daughter of God, and that is what we are. That is who we are. And I I shared with you briefly last week just about my own kids, that it's like there's only three people in the world that have this title that they're my child, and they're my favorite people in the whole world. And and it's a special thing to be called the child of someone, to be called, and you and I are called the children of God. And the truth is, is that not everyone is a child of God. That's the reality. Everyone's created by God, but not everyone is in relationship with God. And and, and Jesus himself identified that you're you're a child of God the Father, or you are a child of God. Of the devil and he pointed to the Pharisees as the example of that. And we looked at that. It's in John chapter 8 verse 34. I won't take you again there this morning. But, but Jesus said this. You're in the family of God or you're not in the family of God. You're a child of God or you're not. You're a child of the father or you are a child of the devil. And so as a child of God. A child of God is an identity to, that is unique to those who have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus they've been rescued, because of Jesus they've been redeemed. They've been restored to right relationship with Father, with the Father in heaven, and it's an amazing love. That's what John is telling us. You have to perceive it. This amazing thing that God came as Emmanuel, that God came down the, the son of God, the eternal son of God clothed himself, Emmanuel, in human flesh. And he came and he gave his life for you and I on the cross. And the reality is this, is like in my life I know nothing like the love of God. There's nothing better. Yeah, I, I have uh, a friend in the community that I've gotten to know and uh, he's had some stuff going on in his life and recently he decided I, I'm gonna pack up and leave the Sunshine Coast and we were chatting this week and he was broken about certain things that were going on in his life and I said to him, look it, there's a lot of stuff I don't know but there's one thing I do know <laughs> and it's about my relationship with God and I have to tell you about it because this changes my life. This has transformed my life in the midst of different things that have gone on for me and it can do the same for you. I mean the truth is if you know Jesus I mean to what can you compare his love It's the greatest thing How do you describe the quality of this love that would identify us and call us as children of God Like when you measure it against other things it's like at the top of the pile it surpasses everything else Eros it surpasses it Philia it's greater and so John says, we are the children of God through, through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's going to make it clear that if you are a child of God, born again, a born again child of God, you are now going to exhibit certain uh, characteristics that conform to the nature of your father, that conform to the nature of your family. And, and we chatted about this last week, that the greatest motivating force in the world is is God's love. Love is the greatest drive in the human family, like to be loved and to z- desire to be loved and to give love. You know, a man falls in love with a woman, a woman falls in love with a man and they lose their minds, don't they? They'll do crazy stuff. Like the writer, writer of Proverbs said, he said, three things that are too wonderful me, for me and a fourth that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky The way of a serpent on a rock. The way of a ship on the high seas. And the way of a man with a virgin. In other words, whoa, that guy lost his marbles to be in love with and pursue that woman. And when human love is genuine, it's beautiful. It's it's wonderful. It's good. But what we're seeing here is this, is that we're to weigh that against the love of God. And God's love for his children exceeds anything that you can experience in life. And in human relationships. And so jump with me all the way to verse 10. It says this. And this is kind of, this is where we left off last week. It says this. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. So John says there's two identifying factors that are going to help you recognize your relationship with the Lord and where you're at in that. He says the first is this, the practice of righteousness. So we we talked all about the practice of righteousness last week. If you want to check it out, you can go on on our church website and listen to that. And then the the second thing he said is this, is your love for one another. And so last week, again, like I said, in that first half of the chapter, just talked about, you know, the practice of righteousness and the work of the Spirit in our lives in doing that, that's the first identifier, and the second that we 're going to look at this morning, the second characteristic that identifies us as children of God is our love for one another. And so look at verse 11, it says this: "For this is the message that you 've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. You know, when we became children of God, when you were born again, you put your faith in Jesus. Not only was there a change in your identity, but there was a change in your character. There was a change in your heart. There was a change in your thinking. Uh, with regards to righteousness, as we saw last week, the practice of sin was exchanged for the practice of righteousness. And in those who have been born again, the children of God, there is not only just the absence of something. God hasn't just removed something from our life. But he's put in its place something positive. And, and that is that there is not only the absence of the habitual practice of, of sin. But there is also the presence of his love. That now love becomes a motivating factor in our, in our life. And the presence of love and its expression towards others who are in Christ is a characteristic of those who know Jesus. Agape love. The agape that that Jesus expressed to you and I now becomes alive in our own hearts and it begins to flow out of our lives and affect our relationships. And so again, verse 11, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. So John's just telling us simply what, what we know, what Jesus declared, what Jesus said from the very start. That his disciples should be known. He said by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you what? If you love one another. If you love. Because love should be the mark of those who follow Jesus. So he gives us a comparative. Verse 12. We should not be like Cain. Who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And so John points us to the example of someone who could not claim to be a child of God or claim to be a believer, and it's Cain. And Cain, when you go back to the book of Genesis and you you read the story, I mean, he commits the most heinous of crimes. Like, really, if you stop and think about it, it's like he murdered his own blood, his own family member, his brother. And why did he murder him? You know the story? Cain and Abel each brought their offerings to God as worshippers. Abel was a worshipper. Cain was a worshipper. But there was a difference behind the heart of their worship. Abel the scripture tells us brought his best. He brought to the the Lord the firstborn of his flock and and the fat portions and Cain On the other hand, brought an offering of fruit from the ground. And the implication is is that Cain did not bring to the Lord his best. And so the scripture tells us that the Lord had regard for that which Abel had brought and had disregard for that which Cain had brought. And Cain was angry about that. He was very angry about it. And anger manifested itself in, in the murder of his brother. It was the fruit of jealous envy in his life. He was envious of his brother and of God's blessing on him and and, and jealous envy that the Lord would receive uh, Abel's offering over his own. And so John says this, why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And so John says this in verse 13. So then, in this sense, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. It's interesting. You know, we're all part of the human family. But amongst the human family, certain folks, those who have put their faith in Jesus and have been identified as righteous by faith and become children of God, are, are blessed with a, a reception from the Lord, the favor of God. Counted righteous. Have a relationship with the Lord. Our our worship as followers of Jesus, like Abel's, is acceptable because we've approached the Lord in the right way through his son Jesus. And just like Cain with Abel, it's natural that at times there may be hate amongst the human family. Nothing, and I would say this, what what John is telling you is that nothing strange is happening if you sense at different times You know the world does not accept you or approve of you. Because the world is not going to. The world is not going to accept uh, you or approve of you. Because why? Because you're a child of God. You're you're not of this world. You belong to another family. And so do not be surprised. even, Even though you are called to love people. Especially your brothers and sisters in the Lord. But don't always expect that. You would receive love in return and so he says this in verse 14 we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers whoever does not love abides in death and so john says this he says that one of the primary ways a person knows if he's been born again is if you love your brothers and sisters in the lord if you love people if you love people. And you know, sometimes we ask this question, well how do I know can I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if the work of Jesus is genuine in my life? Well, I'll tell you this. Exactly what the scripture says, if you find yourself caring about people in a new way, especially your brothers and sisters in the Lord, especially those who are of the family of God, that is a sign that you are saved, that it's genuine. And you can know that you're saved. You can know. It's a mistake, this idea that we we can't know if we're saved. John says we know that we've passed from death to life if we love our brothers. If we love our brothers. Now if you have the heart of Cain, there's hatred in your heart. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Look Look at verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know what Jesus said about murder in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, he said You've heard it said, Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. What was he saying? He's saying that murder is something in the heart of humanity. And that, that if I'm angry with someone, I, I'm actually guilty of murder. Which just takes God's word to a whole other level in its ability to just judge my heart and what's going on in my heart. And what was he saying? That, yeah, that, that, it, that if I'm angry, you know, I'm essentially killing someone in my heart. Killing them in my mind. Maybe killing them with your comments. Do you ever find yourself doing that? You know, the scripture says this, that the, that the tongue has in it the power of life and death. That the tongue itself can break bones. That's what the scripture says. And the, and, the, and the message of 1 John is this, is that we're to love. And so when we are when we come to faith in Jesus, when someone is saved, we're not to live in hatred. Now one of the things we saw last week is in this practice of sin and the practice of righteousness is that That you and I, as we come to faith in Jesus, we have a new nature, but this nature's working itself out in our flesh. It's like the old life is battling against the new life in Christ, and we have to choose which one we're going to feed, which dog we're gonna feed. Which dog are we gonna feed? And if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come, and the new nature is the only one that can please God. Remember we told this, Told the story of the two Adams. The young man who said, There's there's two atoms living in me. Adam, the first Adam in the Bible who sinned, and the last Adam, Jesus. And what I do depends on which Adam I send out in my heart to answer temptation. The new nature and the old nature. And the reality is, is we all struggle with love and hate in our hearts and minds. And so he says this, look at verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Remember this whole chapter, so see what kind of love the Father has bestowed on us. What was the mark of God's love? That he sent his son, that Jesus gave his life. Uh, to be reconciled to God and called it children of God. For that to happen, someone had to die. Jesus had to give his life on the cross. Because there is no reconciliation without death. And so God initiated that process. God came down. Emmanuel, he dwelt among us. And he reconciled us to the Father By laying down his life. And so too the only way that there's ever going to be reconciliation. uh, Between you and maybe the person you're at odds with. Who are you at odds with? The only way there's going to be reconciliation is if someone dies in the process. Either you will lay down your life or they will lay down their life. And I would challenge you. Lay down your life. Quit trying to prove your point. (laughs) how's that working? (laughs) Lay down your life. Be the bigger person and choose to do so. You know, look, if there's someone in your life who you wish, man, I wish this relationship could be reconciled. You know, maybe that's with a parent. Maybe it's with a child. You know, maybe it's with a spouse. Maybe it's with a, a former spouse. The only way there can be reconciliation is through death. Someone's got to lay down. Someone has to die. And that's the proof of real love actually. That's 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 agape. That's the proof of real love. That was the proof that God loves us, right? Jesus laid down his life. Therefore John says we should be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so what does that look like in action? We'll look at verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What's he saying? He says, love's not a sen- you know, sentiment. Love is not something you say. Love is not a word. Real love expresses itself in action. It gets down to business. It's easy to talk about love, right? I mean, we all know that. It's easy to talk love, about love, but John says, don't talk about it. Do it. Do it. And real love gets into action. You, you express your love for your brothers and sisters by, by what you do for them, not by what you say. John, John even makes that application that, man, if you see somebody's in need and you have the goods to help them, then lay down your life. Do it. And and, and I think what he's saying is this, is that being a genuine follower of Jesus requires self-sacrificing love. Where's that in your life? Where's that in my life? That's a good question for us. If if we weigh ourselves, where is self-sacrificing love for the sake of the gospel in our lives? Verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. See, the truth is when we're living with this expression of self-sacrificing love in our lives, our hearts will actually assure us in the presence of God. That is it. Our hearts will dispel doubts. We all have doubts in our hearts and in our minds. And and our hearts will dispel those doubts and bring that sense of assurance. But here's the truth. This is what I was mentioning earlier today. You know, the reality is your heart can attack you. Your heart can bring condemnation to you and say, look at you. Look at what's going on. And so John actually tells us this. Look at what he says again in verse 20. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. See, when your heart is attacking you, I want to just tell you this. This is what the scripture tells us. Don't worry about it. If your heart is attacking you, don't worry about it because the Lord knows more about your heart than you ever could. You know, as I read 1 John, one of the things that's just jumped off the page to me so much is that this, is, this book is not about condemnation. When he writes these things, he is not seeking to make you go, oh, I just suck. He's looking to motivate you. This is not condemnation. This is motivation. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. What do we do? We remind ourselves of who the Lord is. And then we say, God, adjust my heart. I want to love with self-sacrificing love like you do. Motivation, not condemnation. Verse 21. Beloved, there it is. This is motivation, not condemnation. He's not talking down. He's calling us to something. Beloved, if our heart does condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. You know, the question is like, how how do we have assurance in our hearts? How do we have an assured heart? Assured heart. Well, the answer is by loving the Lord and his people. Not, Not with just words and tongue, but in deed and in truth. And when I don't live up to my expectations, when you're not meeting your own expectations and there's condemnation in your heart, I, and we all have that. I tend to have these thoughts you know, oh, you're missing the mark, you're falling short, you should know better. It begins to affect your prayer life. It's actually what happens. You begin to go, well, I don't deserve to ask God anything. I shouldn't be asking God anything. I can't come into his presence. And this lack of assurance begins to get in our way. But when my heart is not condemning itself and I'm feeling assured in the Lord, there's this beautiful freedom that happens, especially in prayer. Confidence. And I think this is important because from the Lord's perspective... From his perspective, it's there all the time in the sense that I can always approach him. Always. But I only recognize that when I'm free from these kind of heart attacks of condemnation. And a great verse that demonstrates this is one that we looked at at the marriage thing last, last week. And, and I think it's important. It's in First Peter 3, 7. And it says this. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives In understanding, in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, what that's about is this is it's not about God moving, it's about me moving. Because when your relationship's broken with your wife and there's things in the way, all of a sudden it begins to affect your confidence in approaching God. Has God moved? No, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. Not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. He doesn't move. But there's times when our hearts condemn us and it affects our ability to come before him with confidence. But the Lord doesn't move. And so we call out to him, we cry out to him. In the midst of that, no matter what our hearts are doing, knowing that God is greater than our hearts. Does that make sense? Look at verse 23 here in this text. But this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. You know, people came to Jesus. They said, Master, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answered, "And he said, the works of God are not plural. The work of God is singular. It's singular. That you believe on him whom the Father has sent. You believe on me. Jesus said this, the, the, the greatest, the commandments are summed up that we, in this, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Love Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. John says we, we can know with confidence, we can know that Jesus lives in us when the fruit of the spirit is present in us, when we're loving, when we are acting and self-sacrificing Love, and so this call to keep the commandments, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The spirit confirms with our hearts. We follow the commandments, love God, love our neighbor as ourselves. And so John is motivating us not seeking to condemn us, but he's giving us abilities to weigh where our heart is at. And these identifying factors of the children of God, the practice of righteousness and love for the brothers and sisters. And the interesting thing is, is you know, when you, when you begin to love with sac- self-sacrificing love, do you know what you need? You need discernment. You need the ability to say, God, what, what do I do here? What do I do there? I need to know how you're directing me to act in, in self-sacrificing love. And, and so John begins to give some direction and I want to touch down here in chapter four this morning because, you know, love, you know, somehow he's like, look, love everyone. Like it's mindless. Like it's like put your brain, take your brain out of your head and stop thinking. I'm so glad doesn't, God doesn't call us to that, you guys. You know, to put our, to, to put our brain on the shelf when you practice love. Love requires that we have a discerning heart and a discerning mind. And so John tells us how to discern. Look at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, love requires that you use your mind. You, you, You have to discern and test spirits in order that we don't fall prey to those who would seek to lure us away from Jesus or situations that would lure us away from Jesus or or things that would take us away from the simplicity of the gospel so how do we test the spirits we'll look at verse 2 by this you will know the spirit of God every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God this is how this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming, and is now in the world already. So look, it's simple. Maybe it sounds complicated. It's not. If a teaching, if a suggestion, or a thought is from the Spirit of God, it will affirm who Jesus is. That's what it'll do. It will affirm the deity of Jesus, and it will affirm the humanity of Jesus, the God-man. It's interesting. You go back in church history, and you, and you look at church history, and you know, the early church was never concerned about the deity of Jesus. You have these different councils in the second, first century and, and second century. And these councils would convene. And, you know, they'd argue about different things about the nature of Jesus as they were trying to understand his deity and his humanity. And for the early church, it was never the deity of Jesus that was in question. It wasn't. It's like you read the gospels. It's like. He has power over the animal kingdom. He has power over life and death. He has power over nature. He has power to forgive sins. It's like these are the characteristics of God, not a human. His deity is not a question. But the early church where they had trouble was with the humanity of Jesus and how that integration happened between how do you have the perfect man and God all in in one, the God-man. How does that work? We still wonder. And so they said, well, how does this fit together with biblical theology? And, And because the church was infiltrated with Gnostic thinking that was separating the physical and the spiritual. And we've seen this throughout the book of John. And so the church came to reconcile that. They said, we believe the eternal son, fully God, fully man. It seems like now, nearly 2,000 years later, the opposite thing's going on. Like, to me, you know, when I think of lots of discussions that are happening culturally and in churches, it's it's not the humanity of Jesus that's in question. That's like, oh yeah, we totally believe that Jesus was around. What's in question? His deity. Is he really God? Is he really God? And so John says that the spirit of God the Holy Spirit testifies to both the, hu- the humanity and the deity of Jesus. That's the marker right there. That's what matters right there. That's how we recognize him. That is how we test and discern what is from the spirit of God and what is not from the spirit of God. Where they recognize Jesus. And so John says in verse 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know, I was thinking about, um, you know, we do our church camp out, September long weekend, we go to Egmont, and it's like always a highlight for me because I love camping, I love fishing, I love hanging out with people, I love being on the water, and it's awesome, and, and so you know, this year we just had, again, a great time, we had four boats there and a whole crew of us were out fishing at different times, And fishing in Egmont, you catch a lot of rockfish as we're jigging away, right? We're always hoping for those nice big quillbacks, right, Ron? And those are my favorite. If I got a choice, those rockfish quillbacks, that's like my favorite meat right there. And, you know, if you're lucky, you'll pull up a yellow eye, nice nice yellow eye, or red snapper. And rockfish are super cool because... You pull them up, and if you catch and release, you know, we're waiting for the good ones, so that's what we're doing. And these little these little fellas, will, they will come up from the bottom of the ocean. It's amazing. They will come up to the surface, and they're always in a little bit of shock, and then they get a bit of rest, and then boom, down they go again. And it's this crazy thing because they can withstand the pressure changes of being in deep water and being in shallow water. They can withstand... Even coming out of the water for a little bit, and the air pressure, and how that changes for them, and it's amazing because we know this that there's like vast difference in water pressure as you get deep, and these guys live on the bottom. That's what they are; they're bottom dwellers, and so it's crazy. You pull them, you pull them up out of the water, and they're so cool because you look in their mouths, and they God's designed them this way. They have this bladder. And I don't know how it all works, but they can adjust internally to the pressure on the outside of them. And so there's pressure on the outside, boom, the bladder just adjusts. And so it's shallow water, deep water. They can can survive inside these situations. Now human beings can't do that. We know that. If we want to go deep and stay underwater for a long time, we want to go really deep like you can in Jervis Inlet, then you need a submarine. And you need thick steel and you need lots of technology and you need thick glass so that you can withstand the pressure of the water as it increases and, and you go deep. And, and that's the difference between God's creation, a rockfish, and, and man's creation is that God, God designed his creature, that, that sea creature, to withstand pressure on the inside and on the outside. Or to withstand pressure on the outside by something that he's put inside of it. And that's like you and, you and I actually. That's like our faith in Christ and the indwelling presence of the spirit of God. That we can withstand change in spiritual pressure so to speak. You know it's like, it's easy I think. I think as Christians we can like live like we're in a submarine. It's like well I need to insulate myself. I need thick steel around me. I need high fences. I need lots of, I need lots of glass because I like fear that which is outside. I fear the attacks of the enemy. I fear the world and w- when a Christian does that, what happens, they, they isolate themselves, you know? Isolate from their community, find themselves in a little holy huddle on Sunday and all alone maybe and frustrated, no influence in the world. And the truth is, is God's designed you to live in this world. You don't need to put up massive walls to protect yourself. But realize, as John says, the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And when we understand that, the greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, that he is greater than pressure, he is greater than problem, he is greater than temptation... He's greater than anything that can come against us. You are able to withstand because of he who is inside of you. And that enables you to navigate life freely. Say, God, what are you calling me to? What do you desire me to do? Holy Spirit, lead me. Look at the last two verses we'll look at, verse 5 and 6. They're from the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world listens to them. We're from God whoever knows God listens to us whoever is not from God does not listen to us and so inspired by the Holy Spirit John declares that those who truly know God know the word of God that's that's the reference he's making if they truly know God they know the word of God by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John John tells us what we need to know to identify every cult member here. Did you know that? Every false teacher here. If someone is, is drawing close to Jesus and they embrace the teaching of God's word and the humanity and deity of Jesus and they embrace the word of God and they encourage others to read the word of God, then man, they are, they are of the spirit of God. Jesus, the Word, man. I'm pointing you to the Word, and I'm pointing you to the God man, Jesus. If, on the other hand, they diminish Jesus, they lower Jesus, they change something regarding His humanity, they change something regarding His deity, if they make people feel distant from God, or they downgrade the Word of God, there is error. And it is not from the spirit of God. I'll tell you something about God. God's not distant. He's not distant. If someone has been telling you that God is distant, that is not from God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at his hand. It is near you and it can be in you. It can be in you. God is not distant. And so I want to encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, love, love, walk in love. And if your heart has been condemning you, God's greater than that. You remind yourself of who he is and you step forward in love and you begin to just seek him in the place of prayer no matter what you sense. He's not distant. He has not removed himself from you. He has not closed the door of access. He's done everything to open it. Everything. He gave his son. That's how we know what love is. And if you'll come to him in faith, put your faith in Jesus Christ, man. You will know that reality in your heart and in your life if you don't know it already. That's how we discern the spirit of error and the spirit of truth. Us little children, let us love one another. Motivation, not condemnation. Let's pray.